This is exactly right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to December's bonus episode of Sitting Down with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan, and I am joined by our awesome audio engineer, Phil Rossi, also dad extraordinaire, to answer your new listener questions. We read all of them. We love them. So please keep them coming. We get them through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and people email us at podcast at drdanpeters.com. Without further ado, Phil, hello. Hello, Dr. Dan. Here we are. December. Nearing 2023, I can hardly believe it myself. And I have got to say, just... Based on being your engineer and hearing all these great discussions, based on the feedback from our listeners, whether it's uh, questions they're sending in or uh, ratings and reviews uh, on Apple Podcasts, a lot of great wisdom this year. And so I'm already getting excited to see where uh, 2023 takes us with guests and discussions and topics. I think it's going to be a really fantastic year. I agree. And as we as we think about this year coming to a close and all of our shows this past year um, and our our bonus episodes uh, with you and with Laura, I just have to say we are just so fortunate to have such a synergistic team, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the three of us, and and feel so fortunate to be working with Exactly Right and their amazing team. Yeah, and um, it's just all good stuff. It's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. So speaking of good stuff, let's get into our final bonus episode of 2022. Let's do this. Question number one came to us via email. How can I teach my child to be a self-advocate? She needs sensory breaks, but sometimes her teacher isn't aware she is struggling. She's in elementary school and has an IEP. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That is a great question, and that is something that uh, we dealt with as a family. And for those folks, so IEP, Individualized Education Plan, or sometimes referred to program, and what that is is when you have a child that has some form of uh, learning disability, um, some sorts of emotionally emotion or behavior dysregulation or autism spectrum disorder uh, or other uh, health medical issue, you can get this plan, and in this plan is a combination of pull-out supports with uh, specialists, whether it's occupational therapists or learning specialists, and uh, oh, and a lot of a classroom accommodation. So like in this case, when there's yeah. sensory issues, yeah. which is a common one, um, taking sensory breaks, being able to sit on a sensory ball, being able to put yep. on noise cancellation headphones, or, or having, especially with the younger kids, teachers to be aware of this and say, hey, you might want to go into our sensory room or would you like to grab some headphones or would you like to um, get a a scoongee or, you know, something to squeeze, a fidget. So what happens is you have a child, particularly a young child in elementary school, they're just being kids and they're just being themselves. And at that age, there is often not a lot of self-awareness. So our, our hope is always that 
the teachers and the school personnel will be aware of the IEP, being aware of our child's profile, and really run point. And sometimes that does happen. However, the reality of classrooms are there are a lot of kids, and usually there are several kids that have these different special needs. And teachers have a lot of pressure, depending on schools, to stick to curriculum and move things along. So all this is to say, it doesn't always work as planned. And as a Mm -hmm. parent, you're often having to continue to advocate for your child while slowly teaching your child to advocate for his or her self. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to give an example of this. This brings a memory of me when our son, who um, has dysgraphia, uh, we have a very dyslexic family, often with dyslexia comes dysgraphia, which is um, trouble with fine motor skills and writing. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. sloppy, it's harder to copy, and things take longer. And so he was in second grade and he was coming home very upset. Mm -hmm. And um, it turned out he was having several substitute teachers because of teacher's medical issue that didn't know anything about his plan. And he didn't get extra time. And when he didn't get extra time, he would not do well and he wouldn't get to go out to recess. And so he was more and more upset and we finally realized what was happening. And so I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to go to school with you and we're going to talk to the teacher together to let your teacher know that you have this plan and what your accommodation is is for extended time or to finish in another classroom so you're not penalized and so we did that and i said and our the goal is that next time that happens you tell the teacher yourself that you have this plan yeah and so it's this it's this and it's not like everything just went beautifully after that of course Um, of course and every year is a new year but you're really trying to help your child develop a, a voice to say what he or she needs, even to people in authority. And that yeah. can be easy with some teachers who are more receptive, and it can be harder with other teachers who might feel, uh, who are, it feels more intimidating. But what you want to do is open the dialogue with your child that what accommodations are, why they help you, and that it's important that if they forget for you to tell them. And that if it's not happening, to come to us and we will help you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even, you know, even outside of special needs, self-advocacy can be a real challenge depending on your child's personality type. Just from observing my own children, extroverts seem to have a much easier time self-advocating. And sometimes they'll They'll self-advocate by proxy for their friends. And then rather the more introverted child doesn't maybe want to cause conflict, doesn't want to draw attention to themselves, uh, and tends to find that self-advocating more of a challenge. And what I've I've found with one of our daughters is that she will, rather than pausing and having that moment where she says, I'm going to speak up for myself, her default setting is to figure out some way to justify whoever's behavior is not suiting her so she doesn't have to self-advocate. Uh, and so we've, it's been sort of a, a, a two-lane highway here where it's one issue. It's like you don't have to justify why someone may have not noticed your IEP or why someone may not have noticed that you've been struggling because everyone has their own things and distractions mm-hmm. and whatnot you don't have to figure that part out of it, right? In this situation, you need to do 
what you need to do to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And again, like you said, it's it's never an overnight flip of the switch. Uh, you take three steps forward, you take a couple steps back when they're introduced to other personalities. And it's just something that you stick with. And you stick yes. with, likely, I'm going to guess, you know, as they are well into adulthood, they'll come to you and we'll need that little bit of extra inspiration to speak up. Yes. Yeah. And it's a really good point you're making about it really is for everyone beyond kids with um, special needs and personality does make a difference. And when you look at this from a life trajectory perspective, Mm -hmm. we're trying to cultivate a level of assertiveness, of confidence, of of, um, being aware of one's own thoughts, needs, bodies, and and advocating for oneself across all settings. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, we're always trying to ad- figure out and calibrate how much do we do versus how much do they do. Yeah. And this notion yeah. of scaffolding, which means like we're trying to be, provide the scaffold to help them get to the next rung, the next yeah. level, the next floor. Yeah. And especially when you have a special needs kid, mama and papa bear stuff comes out a lot and you Uh really get in a protective mode for lots of real reasons. It's still so important we're aware of trying to promote our child promoting themselves while, yeah. well, like what, seeing what, okay, how do I need to help? What's too much? What's not enough? And it changes constantly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a moving target. So yes, just stick with it and keep your eye on that ball. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> great, great question though. Great yes. question. Okay. Question number two, should tweens have new year's resolutions? This is an interesting one. And, and, and yeah, as I yeah. think about it, I actually, I, I first hear it one way, which is, should we have our te- have our tweens have them? And then, which I think that's what's being asked. But I also wanted yeah. to point out the other thing that it, it um, made me think is, you know, do I have, I have a tween who's making all these New Year's resolutions and is this a little too much for that age? Like, so there's the other side of it, yeah, which is like- That's exactly how I- how Where I, you think of the same thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah. you go yeah. either way with it. So um, we'll take a, we'll, we'll see where this goes. So here's what I'm thinking. First of all, for resolutions, I- Person, I'm going to take that part on first. I I like the idea of intentions versus resolutions. Resolutions, it's like I'm resolving to do this, and we know that a lot of the time, whatever that thing is, it lasts for the month of January. Um, if so, like getting the gym <laughs> membership true. and working out, and and then there's like, oh, I failed. I didn't do it. Well, oh well. Now. An intention, which there's also critique on intention. So intention is, this is what I want. This is the direction I want to go. This is what I want to improve upon. This is what I want to be more aware of. This is how I would like to conduct myself. Now, some people will say, well, if you have an intention and you don't have a hard plan, well, you're going to, it's it's not going to happen. I'd say maybe, but the idea of an intention is it's something that you start to percolate on and internalize and become more aware of, which of course is cornerstone to mm-hmm. our mission here. Yes. And 
we want to slowly act more in alignment with that intention. Yes. Now, should a tween have one? I don't see a downside of um, helping a young tween person um, become more aware and meet that person's goals. However, if someone is really turbo and are like, I need to exercise every day for whatever, or I am going to be completely um, vegan, or I'm going to never have sugar again. Like if, if it's something is like seeming not healthy because of a very intense or perfectionistic or anxious personality style, then I say like we can try to ratchet it back a little yeah. bit, mm -hmm. right? And, 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 yeah, and, and moderate. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I love, as you know, the whole concept of setting the intention. And I think mm -hmm. intentions work very well with goals. And, yes. and that's how I like to look at this idea of starting a new year and setting, setting some goals. And you don't have to set them all right on New Year's Eve, but you start with those intentions, right? And then you might say, I'm going to start reading more actively this year. I'm going to read a book maybe in January and then you get a few books in and then maybe you're in, in March and you say, okay, for the rest of the year, I'm going to read 12 books. And then you've already kind of established the intention. You've seen what it feels like to, to follow through on that intention while not having sort of that self-imposed pressure of, of this definitive goal in front of you. Then you feel a little inspired and you set a goal that can be realistic and sometimes even measurable for things like reading books or it's and so forth. So I think the two can work hand in hand to be a very healthy thing for a tween. Uh, but like you said, keep on your radar and, you know, any, any pings that are anything excessive or maybe something that, you know, maybe like very like body image focused or anything like that, or even social media focused. I want to get a million views this year you know that's i mean pull the plug on that one right away <laughs> but you right. know how i feel about social media <laughs> yes yes but, but yeah but bottom line is it can be healthy with with good guidance mm -hmm. yeah and everything in moderation right like too little of stuff sometimes isn't good and too much of stuff mm -hmm. often isn't good and it's so yeah. and yeah i think that age so when we say tween you know you're like not quite a teenager but kids who are not quite teenagers are often pretty grown up and very self-aware these days for a variety yes. of reasons. So, um, right? yeah. So yeah. I, I, I like the idea of having these conversations with our kids over the holiday time about, you know, so like reflection on this year, mm -hmm. you know, how this year go, what are some highlights? What are some lowlights? Yeah. Um, yeah. what do you, what do you, what would you, what do you vision for yourself next year? Right. Uh, what what right. would you what, you know? What are some things that you want to experience or accomplish or and then you know like healthy conversation and dialogue absolutely without pressure without pressure without without pressure and then from a different angle, let's say your child comes up to you and says, "I'm going to do some New Year's resolutions this year." Ask them, hey, you know, why? What makes you feel inspired to do New Year's resolutions? And kind of figure out where that initial idea is coming from. And, and that alone is going to give you a wealth of knowledge and help you better guide your child. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I can't believe we're talking about new year's. That's just, I that know. blows me away. That blows I me know. away. That blows me away. All right. 
Question number three. Is there one piece of advice Dr. Dan has for families to start out 2023? Wow. (laughs) That is such a simple, stated question, yet so powerful and meaningful. So um, let me go within. Yes, go within. Go within, and I'm looking at a big pine tree with um, some sort of raptor hovering around, um, <laughs> giving me inspiration over there. Okay. I, okay. Um, I think, let's go, I'm going to go big first, so broad. Yeah, go big. Go I big. think, you know, we are continual proponents of increased awareness and living with intention, mm-hmm. right? So we always talk about parenting yeah. with purpose and intention, but it really is living with purpose and intention yeah. and how we can do that in our own lives and then how we can also, mo- we model that and instill that in our kids. Right. So it is imp- a lot of the stuff we say is really important, but time and time again, it's just shown what we do is even more <laughs> important than what we say. Yeah. And I almost feel like it's easier to say things than it is to consistently do them. So the first thing that is coming to me is for us adults to take some inventory about what are our own reflections and intentions for what we want for ourselves and for our family this upcoming year and really take some time with it. And whether you do it a little bit by yourself, um, if you do it with your partner, other family members um, who are uh, supporters of the village. And then I think I really like when families just sit down and have this conversation, which is, it's kind of like what we talked about a bit in the last question, which is what are, what, what are you, what are your reflections what are you wanting for this year? What are you hoping changes? Or what are you hoping to change? How can we support you? How do you think you can support yourself? Right? It's, so it's really this like, what I think is like a, an idea generating and an energy generating conversation about what do we want this to look like? And how do we go about making it happen in a way which is aligned with who we are as individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Love the concept of kind of taking some inventory and seeing where there might be room for growth, things that maybe you can change in in your routine, your life and your relationships. And but at the same time, you know, some people listening to this might be inspired to do just that in this new coming year they had a pretty good 2022 or a fairly even 2022 and so they're ready to move on to 2023. And then there's others who have just been snowplowed in 2022, maybe are not feeling motivated, not feeling inspired, or maybe even feeling defeated. And they're on the mat and the thought of taking inventory of their year and then the thought mm. of making changes might seem either, you know, that there's little point to it because maybe they tried that for 2022, or it just might seem like, oh yeah, that would be great. but how can I start climbing up that mountain again? I'm exhausted at the end of this year. Yeah, that's a real, I'm really glad you brought that up. Because I know for me, 
in those types of situations, sometimes you've got someone cheering you on and it, it just, it doesn't make as much impact. And, and usually in those moments, that's where you have to give yourself a little bit of grace and say, yes, yes. Okay. I didn't have the greatest year. I was feeling emotional or sad this year and that's, and that's okay. And rather than taking all the, whatever negative may have happened in your year and have it be something that just makes you feel shameful or whatnot, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. take that moment as a first step to practice what you know is so important is that, that self kindness, which is a part of the self-awareness, but so often that is a step in the process of healing in the process of moving forward with intention to something better, they omit it. You're right. You're right. And, um, in many situations, it just takes so much courage just to like get through the day. Right. Mm -hmm. When we're slugging through and we're dealing with depression, anxiety, grief, loss, um, combination, trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just getting up and getting through it. And, um, And yeah, it might be a lot to take inventory, as you're saying, and put out all these intentions. So, so what I, what I am thinking about in these situations is to keep it as simple as possible. And this is where that mindfulness presence is like one moment, one day at a time. And Mm -hmm. you're reminding me when you were talking of uh, an incredibly difficult year I had several years ago. And I remember waking up on New Year's Day with an unexpected relief of, oh, that year is over and this is new. You know, kind of, it just, even though these are arbitrary, like a day's a day. Right. um, (laughs) I think of, you know, birthdays, people talk symbolically, are days of rebirth, like an opportunity to restart regrow. And I think New Year's in this situation can be, is the same thing. Whereas let's put this thing behind us and let's just, as you said, be kind to oneself and just take one day at a time. So, right. So there is this continuum. You know I mean, really important that you brought this up. It's a continuum. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I am such a huge fan of the word courage. It even, it even feels just good to say the word. Mm-hmm. And for those people that are getting up, even though things are not great and you're, you know, you're parenting and you're going to work and you're, you know, paying the bills or paying some of the bills, that's, that is courage, right? You have courage and never forget that if you're listening to this right now and you've had a tough year and a tough time, you have courage. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Courage. Okay, moving on. And I wasn't trying to um, derail your your great answer or no. Or take I'm away glad. From that anyway, I'm glad you brought that in because, um, yeah, it assumes having a certain amount of resources and being in a certain place, frame of mind, energetic space, to be able to do all that. And yes, many of us know that there are lots of times in life where we don't have those resources and we're just trying to get through. Um, and so that message 
is so important is just to show some compassion for yourself. And um, there is the courage of every day, just continuing to show up and get to the, get to the end of the day. And um, yeah. Yeah. And it does get better. It really Mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. All right. Question number four. And this is a question uh, that came in via email. I just told my husband about gentle parenting after reading an article with Dr. Dan in Good Housekeeping. We will link the article, of course, in the uh, show notes. Can Dr. Dan tell us a few ways to use this concept in our parenting style, which is a mix? So I'm guessing a mix of gentle parenting and... and um, Maybe more traditional yeah, parenting, yeah, right? Yeah. So um, first off, we need to talk about what is gentle parenting. And... Like many things, I start by saying, don't let the name uh, derail you or like mm-hmm. the, the name stop you from moving any further because <laughs> I can understand why many people um, would say gentle parenting. So what, I'm just going to raise this little softy that can't function and mm-hmm. um, gets his or her way all the time. And um, I have to kowtow to their emotions. Like life is hard and you got to learn to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. So me being a gentle parent is a disservice to my child, right? That's fair if we, but we have to talk about what is gentle parenting, what is right? Gentle parenting? So <laughs> what is gentle parenting? So let's just talk a little bit about what it is. So gentle parenting comes out of what is considered the positive parenting movement. And there are several different types of parenting styles under positive parenting. So what this means in general parenting, it emphasizes understanding a child's behavior through empathy and respect. You give choices versus commands And you respond in a way that considers the child's development, their intellectual development, their physical development. So it's very, it's contextually driven. It's respectful. You want to understand why a child is acting and feeling a certain way. And you're wanting to reflect back to them to help them understand their emotions better over Mm -hmm. time. Okay, and so this came out as one of the methods in response to more traditional parenting or what we call of um, authoritarian parenting, which is more um, is can be more firm, more harsh. We're not really interested in what you think or feel. You're crying. um, Yeah, the I because I told you to. Yes, because I told you to. Um, Or. you better do that or else right. <laughs> parenting, right? Right, right. right. And so, um, so this approach is not, it, it's against shaming, blaming, and punishing. And so that is, those other things are actually easier to do. Many of us in our generation experienced a lot of those different, more traditional parenting styles and, and, and our parents for sure likely did. And so, the idea, the notion is like, okay, so what is this gentle parenting? Well, and and the myths are, well, if I if I'm a gentle parent, like then I never even consequence. I like never even teach a lesson. And if my child's mm-hmm. upset about something, I just say, oh, I'm so sorry you're upset, and then I give them more ice cream. Like, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. Boundaries are super important. 
natural and logical consequences of behavior are important. You're just not shaming, punishing. You're trying not to yell and scream. We all have our lapses, but we're, we're trying to develop something within our child that will serve them well in the future. So for example, kids that are parented in this sort of way, and other people can call it conscious parenting. Um, there's just, there's other names for it is these kids learn ultimately to regulate their emotions better under understand themselves, express their emotions. Um, they have more empathy for themselves and others, and they can have more healthy and collaborative relationships because as a parent, what you're trying to do is honor and understand, try to understand what's going on for them to increase their awareness as well. Because when we think about old school, okay, you're crying. If you keep crying, you're going to have a timeout and go to your room. We've been moving away from that in the parenting mm -hmm. world because it really is shaming. It doesn't do anything about trying to understand why is the child so upset? Mm -hmm. And then what we do is we isolate them for them to feel more shame and to be alone when we know that health happens through connection and regulation mm -hmm. happens mm -hmm. through connection. So all that to say, one does not have to be a um, devout, gentle parenting. And, and, multi and different parents coming from different families are going to have different approaches. It's how do we sort of meld them enough in a way that we're not totally contradicting our child nor are we doing anything that we just really don't agree with because that can cause a lot of conflict. Yeah. Um, I know, Phil, you're going to have some stuff to say about this. <laughs> and so I would say that that's, it's okay to have different parenting approaches. I think it's, a lot of this is about talking to your co-parent when you can um, about what are our goals and how are we going to handle these situations and what are we trying to instill in our kids? Right? Like if we're trying to instill our kids to understand themselves better and to have self-confidence, we don't want to cut them down and just yell at them and send them away all the time because that's right. not going to increase any awareness and that's not going to help them regulate their emotions because we often have to co-regulate, especially the younger kids, to help calm them down before we can yes. actually talk to them with their yeah. thinking brain that they can process what's going on. There are times where having your child go to their room because they are so upset where that might make sense. You want to separate them from the group so they can have a chance just to calm down because they're feeding off of everyone else's energy. And mm -hmm. I have found not every time, but at times that could be a way to start to teach this concept of what's going on, you know, with my body, what's going on with my mind, what's, you know, why am I really upset for a good reason? And again, those are even more complicated at least stated than I would to say a, you know, seven-year-old. But again, we call it like, why don't you take a few minutes to reset and then we'll talk. And so this is concept of reset that we've kind of woven into our fabric. So if someone's having a moment, you say, do you just need to go reset? And everyone knows what that means for everyone involved. So again, it's like you said, it's this sort of hybridization. It's sort of taking some of the themes from this authoritarian parenting, i.e. punishments. You know, we don't have, we don't do punishments here because mm -hmm. the way I see that model the, uh, in the, in authoritative parenting works or authoritarian parenting works is, you know, the parent is delivering 
the punishment, right, to the child who's done something wrong. So right. they learn that, okay, if I do something wrong, then dad's going to punish me. So I just won't get caught doing something wrong. And then I can, or I won't caught, get caught doing something they told me not to do. And then I'll, I'll just do it. Not much learned in that one discrete scenario. But if you work with this, this system of, okay, there are consequences to our actions, you know, right? And then it's not so much you're saying you're punished, go away to your room. You have, again, a dialogue about, okay, so let's break down what happened here. You can say that you're disappointed because you also have to be real. Uh, and then just levy some consequences that are understandable and commensurate with whatever the quote-unquote infraction was. I think that goes a long way to the person who has um, you know, made a mistake, as we all do, or did something against the rules or whatnot. One, they see that it has consequences to others, right? And when you're yep. having this discussion, but they also realize that you know, they can't blame their parent really for getting them in trouble because you know, they have a better understanding and, and they have these consequences that are theirs to own. And totally. Probably totally. horribly, but... Um, no, but, no, well said. And it's making me think of a few examples uh, hmm. to, to further give some examples. So here's a few examples of what would be considered gentle parenting or posit this positive parenting approach, which is not about blame. It's not about right. um, shame and it's not about punishment. Um, so here's the classic young child example. You're at the dinner breakfast table and then the milk spills all across um, instead of that yelling or scolding or go to your room or, um, whatever negative thing we might be saying in the mm -hmm. moment because we're stressed out, um, the parent helps the child clean it up. Mm -hmm. Natural consequence. When we mm -hmm. do some, make a mistake, we mm -hmm. deal with it. Right. Yep. Um, here's a different one. A child, um, doesn't want to go to bed. We know lots of people like that and they're throwing <laughs> a tantrum. We're trying to help the child first regulate their emotions and calm their emotions and trying to help them understand and validate why they're upset. Oh, I know, you know, you don't want to go to bed right now. I know there's so much more fun things to do and you want to stay up and watch TV with us or play a game with us. And then the parent does its best to, in this process, help the child feel heard, if possible, the child to express themselves. And then with them, you... Um, you know, you're, you're trying to help them go to bed at the same time. Like you're talking them through it and you're doing it together. And it's actually the same thing for kids that don't want to go to school. It's a different version. You know, mm -hmm. you're trying to help them understand, understand why they don't want to go to school. You're trying to help them calm down and you're validating their feelings. You're trying to get from them what they're feeling. And as you're doing it, you say, well, you know what, let me help you. Right. So it's like, not like if you don't do this, then this right. is going to happen. Then after school, no video games for you like that. All that right. does is it increases emotional dysregulation. Yeah. Um, I have yeah. one more example for all of uh, parents of teenagers. So here's the classic one. Your teen is late for curfew. Right. So this a lot of things go through our minds as parents when that happens. First of all, you know, what are they doing? Are they OK? Um, why aren't they responding to our texts? Um, do they not have any um, any respect for our rules and our authority? Mm -hmm. um, can we trust them? Blah, 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 blah. So instead of well, we need to regulate all those are valid, by the way, yeah. we've all I've, I've had all those. Um, <laughs> 
What we want to do is when the child does come home, whether it's that night, depending on the situation, or the next day, is find out what happened. There's lots of different reasons. There is um, phone legitimately died, not that phone um, uh, pretend died. There are different things that happen. I know there are sometimes that kids, uh, teenagers, end up helping their friends in tough situations, and that um, ends up... Um, becoming more important than the curfew, depending on the situation. There are other times when the kids just have trouble tracking time. And there are other times when the kids are just like, you know what, I don't care. I'm having fun. <laughs> All of those would be different responses. For example, yes, like, course. hey, how do we problem solve to make sure that this doesn't happen again? Because this really is about trust, responsibility, and also about us worrying about you and we it's late and we can't get in touch with you yeah. and and then coming up with some solutions together and then depending on what those things were you know on the one extreme it's like okay so let's figure out our code let's figure out how your phone stays charged let's figure out how you track time let's figure out what you tell us if you have a reason that you need to have a late curfew but you can't be com totally uh, communicative because of the situation mm -hmm. and also on the extreme hey if if honoring the curfew that we said isn't working, we're going to have to revisit it and do something different. Right. And then you may very well see adjustments in behavior because they are, you know, happy with that curfew or they would be not as happy with a different curfew and you're right. giving them the opportunity to take corrective action and right. move forward. I think it all comes down to there are going to be these times where you have to talk to your kids when they have broken the rules or, or whatever. And it's going to happen. It has to happen. And the conversations mm -hmm. are going to be different based on what's going on. But the one thing for all parents to, to, to try to get out of that conversation is guilting and shaming because nothing positive ever comes from that. Now, do they need to understand that they're, actions affect others and that you were worried of course absolutely but you know histrionics from the parents side aren't going to make things um better for dealing with the no. situation either no you're having that discussion right you're having a conversation yes. Yes. And to circle it all the way back as we close here. Yes. Um, circle it back. Depending on who your partner is and how they think about this, you can agree to call it something beyond gentle parenting. Because again, I just think at times that's a triggering thing that might not feel yeah. aligned with how you want to raise your kids. It's more about what this approach actually is than what it's called. Yeah. I love conscious parenting. Yes. I yes. love that. So uh, I that's do too. what I'm going to call it. Yes. <laughs> Well, great. Here we are. Here we are. End of this. End of this um, we, gosh, we wish everyone listening a a good holiday, mm -hmm. a happy holiday, um, a meaningful and healthy new year. In this, in the new year, it's always an opportunity for newness, for growth, for change. And as Phil aptly pointed out, be kind to yourself wherever you are on the human continuum and human experience right now, be kind. We, uh, we thank you guys for listening, um, for sending in your questions. This is how we stay connected to you all and yes. feel connected to you all. Uh, we're so grateful for the community. 
And uh, you know what the, the, the two things I'm going to ask you to consider, to vision, to intend upon, and that is be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself that guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Mountain Spring High, composed and performed by Gabriel Lewis. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.